We're now going to hear from Dr. Linda Doyle. Linda's going to provide us with her perspective on quality and qualification systems as a senior leader, provost, and president of Trinity College Dublin. Dr. Linda Doyle. Uh, thank you. Um, can I say thank you to QQI for asking me to speak and to say congratulations on 10 years. Um, it was actually great to hear Terry and the international perspectives and to get to listen to Tony for longer than a minute and a half. Um, uh, and I think I'm going to be kind of picking up some of, uh, of the themes of that again. I actually renamed my talk Quality in the Face of Adversity, which kind of, I think, takes up from, from the, the previous two speakers. So um, I suppose uh, everywhere I go, I, I suppose I always start with the story of, of the funding of Third Level, and I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit um, now. So uh, one of the things, I think, one of the ways we can kind of gauge how well Ireland is doing uh, is through um, one report that I often turn to, and that's the EUA Public Funding Observatory Annual Reports. And the way I describe that to people, I say there's a good graph and there's a bad graph. And when you stand back and look at it, Ireland always lands on the bad graph. So our system, our third level system, lands on the bad graph. So what I have on the next slide is a picture of that bad graph. Um, some of you will be really, really familiar with this, but just to maybe give you um, a, a little bit of context. So um, the orange lines are the number of students and the gray lines is the funding. And on the bad graph, all of the countries who make the bad graph um, have a decrease in funding. Um, and Ireland, is a, this looks over the past five years, Ireland lands on that bad graph. Um, but not alone are we on the bad graph, we're the baddest on the bad graph. And if you look at it, uh, we have consistent year-on-year -year decrease in funding and increase in student numbers. So as you see, other countries that have a decrease in funding, in some cases, they also have fewer students going into the, the sector. But in Ireland, we have the worst of both worlds. We have more and more people coming in and less and less money per student. So, so for me, that is a huge part of the system that we have to operate in. And when we ask ourselves anything about quality or about how all of us behave, whether or how all of us what all of us can achieve, whether we're talking about universities, technical universities, or other institutes of education, I think we need to hugely bear that in mind. Now, I think uh, both Tony and Terry have done a very good job of setting the wider context. And part of what I've been saying recently, if it were just uh, funding alone, that would be one thing. I think we could get on with it. But we are seeing ourselves in a kind of very, very different environment. And to a certain extent, I'm reinforcing some of the comments that were made earlier. But we obviously are still, I think, feeling the effects of COVID. For me, when I look at my own institution, I don't think we fully got to grips with the kind of hybrid working, uh, the, the, the mixtures of things we've had to experience. As everyone will know here, there's been two years in a row now when the Leaving Cert results have been really uh, delayed. Uh, for most institutions, including our own, we've had two different starts to term. Uh, which has caused a whole load of, uh, I suppose, uh, disruption, further disruption for our students. Uh, we have the challenge of hybrid working. We have new legislation in the system that's affecting many of our institutions. Um, we've had the Ukraine war. Um, in our own case, we are actually the only university with the Russian department, and we also had the, the challenge of getting our students out of Russia. Um, we've had huge demand on student services. 
So we're seeing, you know, a, a thousand more students this year in need of, for example, counselling services than in the previous year. Um, we've had disruption of supply chains. I, I've used this graph before and I've said the balloon is unfortunately not something fun and happy. It actually represents uh, just one thing in the supply chain. For example, our researchers can't get access to helium. So, it, But it's a tiny thing and it's just uh, symbolic of all of the supply chain issues we're all facing. Um, we have the issues around energy and I think we have to be honest. Some of those issues are due to the international situation that Tony spoke about. And some of those are due to our own country being fit for purpose. Because even before the Ukraine war um, happened, uh, we were facing into situations where the grid in Ireland couldn't cope with all the demand on it. Um, and then, of course, we have things like the housing crisis, which Terry spoke about uh, throughout this. And underneath all of this is the rising inflation. That means everything all of us are doing we're getting less and less value for it. So it's a very, very, very challenging situation we find ourselves in at the moment. Uh, and it echoes very much, I think, with the international situation and uh, what both Terry and Tony spoke about. Um, I included this picture. So this was the picture. Actually, this picture was taken by a colleague of Tony's, Emma O'Kelly, uh, the RTE education correspondent. I just took this from her Twitter uh, feed. So these were the students actually in Trinity uh, last week at the protest. Um, and it's the biggest number of students I've seen at a protest in, 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 in many years. And we know that this happened around the country in different educational institutes. And I think this says a huge amount. This is a real recognition by students of saying, you know, we want, we want something better. Um, and when I look at that, I mean, I haven't even spoken about the planet, but oftentimes what I think about is I wonder, are we robbing our students of their future at the moment? So not alone is the planet burning on one hand. On the other hand, uh, we're making it so difficult for people to engage in uh, education because structurally in this country, it's hard to find somewhere to live. It's hard to afford. It's hard for any student, no matter what the education level they're looking for, to fully engage in that and not be distracted with the other pressures of life. So, so that's the context, I think, that we really find ourselves in in the moment. So I've been thinking about this a lot. And one of the things I believe in um, is when you're in times of difficulty, it's a good time to think, how can we do things differently? So I would say, despite all that, however, we can look forward and we can think about things in a different way. And for me at the moment, there are two kind of key ways of thinking that I'm personally finding very helpful. Uh, some of you may have heard me talk about a few of these before, so I just want to introduce those as a way that I think really matter in terms of running any institution, but also in terms of thinking about quality. And in fact, actually, one of the questions that I saw came up about quality, quality is much more than earnings. It's about the extent to which education is equipped to build healthy communications in society. I saw a comment come up in Slido. I hope that that comment will actually kind of uh, come to the fore when you see what I have to say. So the first of the two things that I find really important is this book that I found hugely inspirational. It's called The Good University. And uh, for those people not from universities, you can just take that as the good institution. But The Good University um, is a book that has really, really inspired me. So it's a book that looks at the reality of running a university and the understanding that if we want to thrive, 
that the universities or the institution has to fire on all cylinders by bringing talents of all staff uh, and students together. Um, it's a university that's inclusive, a university that's democratic, engaged, truthful, creative and sustainable, as it says in that book. And what the book does, it unpacks this in different ways and it kind of challenges us to think more radically about what good really means and how we actually have, I suppose, um, a, a fabric, I, I suppose, a strong fabric in the university on which we can build. And I suppose another way of putting it, I think very often, and maybe this is an oversimplified way of putting it, very often we in universities do research about how other institutions and society should behave to be better. And it's about forcing us to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. That's to me what the good university is about. So in looking at this book and in kind of understanding the factors that were in a good university, I've been asking myself a lot, how do you put this into action? And, and this is where I'm going to bring in the second point. And, and in both these cases, I'm borrowing from great work that other people have done. So the second thing that very much motivates me is this notion of the donut economics that Kate Rayworth would have brought in now a, a good few years ago. So I'll just explain this a little bit and then I'll map it back to the institution. But Kate Rayworth kind of looked at the world around her and said, okay, we are all working in a very particular way where our lives are dominated by growth and GDP uh, and one kind of fixed way of looking at the world and said to herself, okay, there's a different way that we need to think about the world and think about economics. So rather than think of a GDP curve that's going up like this, she introduced the notion of a donut. And to me, there were two key things in it. There's this notion of the ecological ceiling, so that if we actually want to really kind of work and thrive, we need to not go beyond an ecological ceiling. Um, and there's the notion of a social foundation the kind of fabric that society should be built on. And if you look at there, the social foundation, I hope you can see it, range from things to do with gender equality, social equality, political voice, things to do with access to energy, water, food and health, access to education, having a good income and having housing. And the way she talks about it, that the safe and just space for humanity is between these two bounds. So if you undershoot, if there's a shortfall in the social foundation, society doesn't thrive. If you overshoot, society doesn't. If you go above the ecological ceiling, society doesn't thrive. And what I've just, uh, so lots of economists have different views on this, um, but I've also just referenced another report at the bottom called the Das Gupta Review, which is a much more kind of, I suppose, technical review, but actually speaks about very, very similar things in different ways, in different mathematical ways. So if people want to uh, go a different route and look uh, for, for, I suppose, some kind of alternative thinking that thinks about the social condition the world is in and the ecological condition the world is in and how we thrive. So what I've been looking at is how you downscale this to the level of the institution. And if you look at the work that Kate Rayworth has done, she talks about forcing us to think locally and globally. So how do we do things locally that allow our own staff and students to thrive? How allow, we allow our own ecosystem to thrive? And how do we do things locally so that globally, we don't negatively impact people as well. And for me, we need to look at universities and institutions and quality increasingly from this perspective. So what I've just done in the, on the last few slides is I've redrawn um, Kate's donut 
And at the centre, I've put some new words that relate to the institutions. They're, they're, they're taken from hers. And I'm saying that a good university would operate in that space between the social foundation and the ecological ceiling. And the kind of things that are at the centre are the things like equality, diversity, respect and democracy. There are things like fairness. Um, there are things like giving people time, the right time. And for me, that's about radically rethinking bureaucracy and everything you need to do with it, about freeing up things, about giving people space to work, the energy, the staffing. And when I look at those things in the social foundation, some of those things are completely within our gifts to get, bring. And some of those things are things that we actually obviously need extra resources for. Likewise, the ecological ceiling, I've just left the wording that she's used, are the things that we don't need to go beyond. So all I've done here now is just given some simple examples. I mean, in terms of not going beyond the ecological ceiling, there is incredible work that's happening in, for example, having green labs. If you look at things like food clouds um, and food wastage, in my own university, we have a big focus on biodiversity. Um, there's all sorts of research projects, like for example, I just happen to have one connecting nature there. There's the work that we're all doing in our own emissions. So there's things that we're doing at the ecological level, more and more of which we need to do, that will help us kind of remain with that ecological ceiling, though we have much more to do. And likewise, there's lots of interesting things happening uh, at the social foundation. So some of those are things that I think we have great control over. Um, you can create the fabric in your own institution that makes sure people are nurtured, that they have a voice. You can radically reduce the amount of bureaucracy, simplify things to give people time. Um, we have, for example, a Scholars at Risk network that lots of people here are involved in. That's something we do locally that also has that global effect where we can nurture people from countries at risk. But there are also things, there are things we can do, for example, and I think actually this really relates to some of the things that Tony was talking about. I'm a big believer in uh, open scholarship and open science. Um, I find it very, very uh, challenging that the world, this, this notion of even research security, where we as uh, educators are being asked to kind of confine our knowledge, lest some third party nefariously use it. I, I feel that it, we're, it's incumbent on us to push back and to keep the uh, educational world an open world. So there's things that we can do locally as well about open science and open scholarship that have that global reach. And then there's things we really, really struggle with, like fair stipends for uh, uh, students doing research, like adequate housing, um, like energy supply. And all of those are part of the social foundation that we need to work on as well. Um, so I suppose my point is yet again here, that social foundation, we as institutions, including QQI, have choice over some of it. And we as institutions need to work together to make sure adequate resources are put into the others. Um, and if we don't, if there's a shortfall or overshoot, I don't think we operate as good institutions are in safe spaces. So I suppose to come to a conclusion, I just want to focus on, uh, briefly on Trinity. For me, when I talk about this, I say I want Trinity to be a good university. I want Trinity to be a place where that social foundation is there, and I want us to stay underneath that ecological ceiling. Um, I would fully admit we have lots to do. Um, I have a few examples of some of the good things that we're doing. You're going to meet later today our Vice President for Biodiversity and Climate Action. She's the first, it's the first time Jane Stout is in the role. It's the first time we've had such a role. And that's making us really rethink everything we do in, in the context of that ecological ceiling. Some examples of that kind of social fabric is a, an inclusive curriculum. 
that's not just about access for people with disabilities. It's about understanding that we're very locked in Western world thinking and taking that wider perspective on, on the curriculum and, and, and standing up to those kind of issues that Tony, I think, brought up. Uh, we have a Trinity Sanctuary Fund for people coming from countries that are uh, uh, in distress. And we're also rethinking building and moving away from new builds to refurbish and regeneration, just as some of the examples. And there are plenty of institutions that I could name do wonderful and amazing things, I think, that lead to that kind of stronger social foundation and ecological ceiling. But ultimately, and I suppose this is my main message, for any of our institutions to be good, the system needs to be good. Um, and I think what we're here today, if you look at the one of the main words, and Johanna pointed it out, is the word partnership. And we're in partnership here to drive the system to be better. And I think there is an enormous amount more for us to demand and direct and guide in terms of creating a good system. And for me, a good system is one uh, that embraces all those issues where people are treated fairly, uh, where we uh, fight against precarious labor, where um, you know, students are able to do the learning that they're supposed to do, where we recognize that there's many different forms of learning and people can get engaged in different ways, where we're funded appropriately, where we cut out uh, unnecessary bureaucracy and we make things as simple and as easy to engage with, where we share the kind of uh, things that Terry was talking about with each other, um, and where we work together to really create the good system so each of our in uh, institutions can be good institutions within that system. So I'm going to wrap up there and say thank you very much for, for listening and that greatness is built on goodness.